What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, aka John and John. George Klyovkov, Merton Hanks talked uh, this week as part of their Pac-12 championship game media address. They do it every year. John Wilner, uh, you know, before we jump into things, uh, I want to get your reaction to what you heard from Klyovkov and Merton Hanks. Well, first, I thought it was interesting that they moved it up a day. Uh, You know, usually they do it the day of the championship game, you know, basically two hours before kickoff. They moved it up. I thought that was interesting. They want to give the game, I think they want to give the game a little bit of breathing space, right? They knew there were going to be questions about media rights, expansion, a lot of off-the-field issues. And and so they they put it on today, Thursday, so that the, these topics don't dominate the news cycle, uh, Pac-12 news cycle on Friday. I'm going to be in the stadium, and I I I. I tend to agree with you, but I want to see something before I say 100% we're on the same page. I'm going to look at the seating chart for the game. I'm curious to see if some of the national media members that they were hoping to attract for this news conference, uh, if, if they weren't going to get a lot of media attendance outside of the contingent that covers Utah and the contingent that covers USC. I'm curious if that press box is going to be relatively empty or void of the other media members that don't cover the Pac-12. And I kind of wonder if they were trying to get maximum impact while also sidestepping the whole thing of, you know, getting cornered at the game by media members or, you know, having you or I pin them down at the end of the press box and start asking about media rights. So I want to look at that seating chart. I'll tweet out. Uh, you know, maybe uh, right before kickoff. So if you're listening to this, you know, check out my Twitter uh, right before kickoff. I will tweet out whether or not there are a whole bunch of media members in the press box or maybe if it's sparsely attended by media, we have our answer. Maybe they didn't get a bunch of credential requests. Well, one thing to keep in mind this year is, you know, there's a huge college football event in Vegas. I believe it starts Monday night or Tuesday. National Football Foundation has this giant dinner. The Sports Business Journal puts on this huge uh, seminar. And I wonder if a whole bunch of, of reporters are coming in for that and are just going to you know, basically come into Vegas a few days early and attend the Pac-12 championship game. So that'll be interesting, too. I'll keep an eye on that. I'm John Canzano. You can read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. I always say what works for you works for me. I'm here with John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. Uh, you can find him at pac12hotline.com and on Twitter at, at Wilner Hotline. Let's jump into the topics. Reaction to what was actually said uh, I, I, I was I thought it was pretty cool. I got the first question today, Wilner, and I asked about officiating. And, uh, you know, George Klyovkov said that it is unacceptable, the procedural errors that we have seen this season, losing track of down, uh, l- letting the clock run, not setting the ball, the USC-Arizona game. Uh, he said that stuff's unacceptable. And Merton Hanks said that there's going to be a strong or an aggressive reaction uh, this offseason. What is that? What do they mean by that? What did you take away from that? You know, I'm I'm not sure. First of all, I do agree with them that you that you need to differentiate between judgment calls like pass interference and 
the you know the operational mechanical issues of uh, officiating the game down and distance timekeeping all that kind of stuff they also had that bungled i mean the luckiest moment of the whole year for the conference was that bungled whistle at the end of the USC Utah game that you know could have given USC that that extra play to win the game uh there were a lot of mistakes on that level right uh, i expect there to be outrage about pass interference and all that kind of thing every week. There were a lot more mistakes on the operational front this year than there were the year before. Uh, but we'll see. I'm not sure what they can do, right? I mean, aren't we getting to the time where they need to kind of take a look at the guy who's in charge of the officiating? 100%. And, you know, and I think there are some super interesting people out there right now who are available. Tony Corrente, the former supervisor of officials, he retired last year from the NFL. Is he interested in coming back and being a consultant or talking or just getting into the room? Uh, you've had some other turnover in some other conferences, and so there are some interesting candidates that are out there. And look, David Coleman's a nice guy, the supervisor of officials, but I pointed out, and I have talked about, he's not qualified for this job. Like, maybe there's a role for him in the uh, era or in the area of officiating, but it's not as the supervisor. Yeah, it's interesting. The ACC just hired Al Riverton uh, as their supervisor of officials. And Riverton was basically the NFL's senior vice president for officiating, uh, tons of experience. And he's got the position now at the uh, at the ACC that David Coleman has at the Pac-12. Coleman has officiated you know, basically no, no pack, uh, no power five games in his career. He's got a couple of games as an official at the, in the Mac uh, a long time ago. And so the ACC is going for, you know, somebody like Carrenti and Al River. And uh, I wonder if the PAC 12 needs to take a look at that and get somebody from the NFL to basically overhaul their, their uh, officiate the entire officiating uh, operation. I, I, I was satisfied with their answer, but I want to see their reaction now. And I, there needs to be action. This can't be something we're talking about another year from now. The focus has to be on the football. Um, it's interesting. I did think that they had some positive winning football to talk about, Wilner. I think it was uh, probably a change from recent uh, championship gay news conferences where you've got a team that is inside of the top four in the playoff in USC. And I think that made today a little easier for George Klyovkov and Merton Hanks. Oh, it did. They got something. They had something positive to trumpet. There's no doubt. I, what I was the the thing that was most interesting to me was actually not about the the game itself or the football. It's that they don't expect the media rights deal to be done until 2023. I had been thinking that once we get through the UC Regents meeting on UCLA on December 14th, which the Regents have said they are going to make a final decision. Uh, I still think it's very unlikely that you, UCLA is going to you know, be forced back to the Pac-12. But December 14th is the day that's going to end. I had been thinking that soon after that, you know, sometime before you know, the 22nd, 23rd of December, the Pac-12 would basically be ready to roll out their uh, new media deal. But it sounds like it is going to go into January, at least at this point. And uh, I mean, I'm glad it's not going to you know, they're not going to drop the news on Christmas Eve on us, but uh, it's 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 a little bit longer than I would have expected. I think it's uh, it's an understandable delay. I thought it was an interesting point that they pointed out that they're the only Power Five conference that is now negotiating in, in what would be for the next eight years. 
And yep. it, it puts them in a unique position. And I had somebody tweet at me and say, hey, how come it's taking so long? Well, the understanding that I have, I think it's I think there are a few things at play here. And you tell me if you agree or you add some other things. But one, you've got this isn't a this isn't a boilerplate. You know, uh, let's extend the existing agreement. These are new partners that are in the room. And I think we knew right away when the Pac-12 didn't immediately come out and say, hey, we're close to a deal that there were going to be some new partners involved, possibly Amazon, maybe Apple. Certainly this deal looks a lot different than the deals they've had in the past. And Bob Thompson, who we had on as a guest, the former Fox, um, you know, Fox Sports president, uh, uh, you know, he told us that, look, this was uh, this takes time, like new deals take time. So I think that's number one. Number two, we can't ignore December 14th in the UC Regents and UCLA. That thing is, you know, it's wrapped up in this. Like, you know, I do think that the Pac-12 has probably got a strategy, probably has some numbers in front of UCLA, probably doesn't want to come out and say we have a deal uh, if they don't know UCLA is in or out. So that, that causes an understandable delay uh, that points to December 14th. And then there could be some other things involved here. I mean, it, it could just simply be that the, the Pac-12 is taking its time, knowing that it's not competing against anybody else right now for, for these bids. Yeah. And taking your time is fine as long as long as you don't get snookered somehow. Right. And uh, they got caught by surprise once on on June 30th. It doesn't seem like there's any uh, imminent chance of of somebody else leaving or getting poached. But certainly they got to be watching, watching their back uh, throughout this whole thing. And, and it is worthwhile pointing out that the Big Ten took, you know, basically March through August, uh, what, well, five or six months to get their media deal done. So the Pac-12 for a new agreement, like you said, it is not, you know, they're not, be, it's not taking an unreasonable amount of time, especially when you factor in UCLA uh, and they do, they are in a good position. The, it's funny, the Big 12 giveth and the Big 12 taketh away in some regards because the Big 12 by renewing their deal early, they they lowered the the bar, right? Because they took less money in, in exchange for stability. And I think that may have an impact on the you know the Pac-12's leverage and the Pac-12's valuation at the same time because the Big 12 did sign an extension the Pac-12's all alone now the only Power 5 conference with football inventory available for the next for the rest of the decade and so if you're if you're Turner if you're Apple Amazon and you want to get in the Pac-12 is the only way in to Power 5 football at this point Wilner, the you know the the news conference got some questions, and I noticed that some of the media members that were from outside the Pac-12 footprint seemed to be focused on, you know, things like the Rose Bowl and media rights and all this other stuff. But what did you make of kind of the Rose Bowl's role in in today's conversation? And and Klyovkov's, you know, he seemed excited about the playoff expansion because I think that helps everybody. But the Rose Bowl being part of this. That has been the big hangup for the whole playoff expansion has been the Rose Bowl. And, you know, it's certainly there's obviously huge tradition, right, with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and the Rose Bowl. It's a it's a part of Pac-12 football and has been for 100 years. But, I mean, times are changing. And that basically they told the Rose Bowl, the playoff did, you got to get fall in line. You got to pound sand. We're going to move on without you. And the Rose Bowl finally uh, relented and agreed to amend its contracts and. You know, this was a huge deal, right? Because now the playoff can start in 2024 after the 2024 season. The Pac-12, that's the year without USC and UCLA. So 
Pac-12 is going to enter that season without the LA schools, but basically knowing that its champion is going to the expanded playoff. And I, you know, I've I've mentioned this before. I think going to 12 for the playoff is the biggest development in the history of college football. It is going to change the sport in ways that we can imagine and cannot imagine. It is such an enormous deal. And the Pac-12 is going to have a seat at the table, unless it's a just a terrible season. And that seat is going to start the year that USC and UCLA are gone. And I think that's a huge thing for the conference. And the only reason it happened is because the Rose Bowl basically was backed into a corner and and agreed to play ball. The the championship game is going to be interesting. It's USC and it's Utah. And, um, you know, I, I've debated all week what my pick's going to be, Wilner. Where are you on the championship game right now? I'm uh, I'm on UCLA uh, USC's sideline. I, I think that the Trojans are playing a lot better than they did at in Salt Lake City, and are the team to beat. I mean, you were at that first game though. Well, what do you what do you, what have you seen? And you also saw Utah recently uh, in Eugene. Do you think Utah's playing better now than it was? No, then? no, Utah's not playing better now, and that that concerns me. And I think the only chance Utah has in this game is if. If it turns out that Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator at Utah, really did figure something out on October 15th. Because in the last six possessions, they scored five touchdowns and they drove 75 yards and fumbled on the on the sixth possession. And it, Utah just scored and scored and scored. So if he did find something out schematically, Utah, I think, can can uh, you know think about maybe winning this game. But if he didn't, I think the best that Utah, Utah can hope for here is that USC has a very uncharacteristic game and that they they you know they've turned they have not turned the ball over all year. They have forced the opposition to turn over the ball over. They've won that turnover battle, but I think Utah's going to need turnovers in this game uh to win it. Now, can they be in it? Yes, absolutely, because USC's defense when it encounters a balanced attack has struggled this year. They have struggled to contain teams and I think Utah will score in this game, but I have a hard time seeing Utah winning the game, Wilner, unless Caleb Williams and USC turn the ball over at least twice. Doesn't it seem like there's something that's just not quite right with Cam Rising? Yes. It's just, and, and fact, frankly, I think it's obviously the knee. And, you know, he had a knee brace on at the Oregon game, and I had not seen him in the previous weeks actually wear a knee brace dream. And so I am going to be really interested to look at him in the pregame warmups and see, is he wearing a brace? How comfortable does he look? All right, so are you? I think the line is USC minus three, which I, I thought it was going to be bigger. I thought it'd be four or five at least. So you got? Are you taking SC? I'll I'll take USC to win the football game. Give me Utah on the points right now. I, I know it sounds crazy, but just just for the sake of argument, look, I will take Utah in this game only to say that I think they'll score some points in this game and that they can hang around. And I and you know and I'll lean into that, but. I don't think uh, I don't think Utah can win this game unless uh, USC does something uncharacteristic. Yeah, I, I think I got the Trojans by two, basically two two touchdowns. I just think the clearly the turnover situation. While there's a little bit of luck involved, there's no doubt. I mean, every week they have been opportunistic, and and I don't see that changing. And and to me, Utah's only chance to to stay real close is to win that. And and I just don't see him winning it. So, but let's talk about what happens after the game for a second here. We agreed SC wins there in the playoff, right? That's a lock. Yes. What happens? Yeah, they're in the, they win this game. They're in the playoff. And you know, if they lose this game, I think there's going to be a debate about whether they should, uh, whether they should not be, yeah. you know, should, 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 should it have not counted as the teams that are sitting on the sideline are not penalized. Right. That's to me, that's a big issue. 
And and the assumption is if they lose, they're out. And that's probably going to be the case. But it it is worthwhile thinking about Ohio State didn't earn the right to play in a game like this. USC did. Does the committee punish USC for losing the game? Ohio State and also Alabama didn't play. It's it's an interesting, uh, interesting discussion. Yeah, I think, too, if you're looking at this from 10,000 feet, like I've been flip-flopping all over the place thinking like, you know, is it in the best interest of the Pac-12 conference if if Utah wins this game? Because it proves that, you know, the uh, the remaining 10 can uh, knock off the team that's leaving. And, you know, but I think there's some logic here. And, you know, George Kwiatkow is trying, you know, he's being very diplomatic and saying UCLA and USC will be treated as full members until they're out the door. But I also think there's some money at stake. The narrative that the Pac-12 can get a team to a four-team playoff before we expand, as we know, it's going to expand sooner rather than later, uh, I think those things count for something. And so I think if you are uh, a fan who doesn't have a dog in the fight in this game, I think maybe you, you ought to rethink that because I think there might be a dog buried in this fight somewhere. Yeah, I mean, to me, there's three. there have been three choices, right? Uh, nobody in the playoff. USC or UCLA in the playoff or one of the other 10. Now, obviously, if you're the Pac-12, ideally, one of the other 10 would have made it. But I think having SC in the playoff is way better than the alternative of, of nobody uh, because it does, you know, basically end that narrative. And the other thing is there's a whole nother season to play before the LA schools leave. And then once they're gone, again, starting in 24, the Pac-12 champ is basically going to be guaranteed a bid. So I don't think that there are you know, these long-term repercussions that will come of of having USC in the playoff because everybody's going to be in. Every conference is going to be in uh, starting in 2024. Yeah, and I think, it, you know, for the Pac-12, this is, you know, you, you look at the absence. It was Oregon, it was Washington, and then it was forever, and, and nobody got in. And getting USC into this playoff, maybe the narrative historically shifts just a tiny bit but i'm looking forward to an expanded playoff i'm looking forward to 12 teams and you know you would have both usc and utah presumably in the 12 team playoff if it were starting this year and i think that's a better playoff um one other thing that's going on this time of year i want to shift a little bit wilner is you know we're watching players jump into the transfer portal or announce that they're going to jump into the transfer portal next week when it opens um i had a pac-12 assistant coach tell me that he believes, uh, you know, I was asking about some of the quarterbacks who who have announced. Uh, Jay Butterfield at Oregon says he's jumping in the portal. Chance Nolan at Oregon State says he's getting in the portal. You know, I said, you know, where can where will these guys end up? And the response I got back was, there are going to be so many good quarterbacks that go into the portal looking to land in the Pac-12. And I said, what do you mean by that? And the answer came back that, look at what Bo Nix did at Oregon. Look at what Michael Penix Jr. did at Washington. Look at what Caleb Williams is doing at USC. Look at the transfers that came to the Pac-12, had great success, elevated their profile, became better college players, better pro prospects. This assistant coach believes that the Pac-12 right now uh, will get a little wave of talent at the quarterback position. That certainly has been the key to the whole season, right? I mean, the the uptick in in the level of play at the top of the conference, a lot of it's it's due to good coaching and it's due to good quarterback play. And we went several years three, four years where, you know, on the whole, quarterback play was not great. And now it's, you know, like if you try to decide who's a Pac-12 player of the year, you know, that's that's reflective of the fact that there's even a discussion about it is reflective of the depth of of the quarterback play. So 
it will be interesting. And the transfer portal opens on Monday. And, you know, we'll see not just quarterbacks. There's a lot of players that could be in that thing soon. Stanford is a very interesting situation, right? They, A lot of those guys are thinking about leaving and, you know, they got no coach and there's other schools like that. Uh, ASU players, what's going to happen with the NCAA, Colorado, what's going to happen with their coach. Monday is a huge day. Uh, obviously, the guys can get into the portal and come back, but it's still going to be like now this it's just another day to circle on the college football calendar is transfer portal opening day. Yeah, and I don't think like we've talked about the NFL and other sports being year round. College football's year round now, Wilner. I mean, between oh my gosh. between the portal, the two windows in the portal, you have a window that's opening here on Monday, and then you've got another window in May. You've got the recruiting dates. You have the hiring cycle. We're going to see some new coaches in the conference and and the bowl games and the regular season. Um, it's like there is no there is no downtime, and I love that. And I love that you know it's always active and fans are engaged, and that's great. And you know we'll continue to bring you all of the best coverage and all the best conversation and ask the questions and get the uh, get the big interviews on this podcast. So I appreciate everybody who is listening. We, uh, in fact, th- the deadest time of the year is when the real stuff happens, right? The middle of the summer. The last two summers have been thunderous. And uh, yeah, it is nonstop. Just to recap, you, we're both picking USC to win this game. I'm calling it a closer game than you are. But I'm I'm saying that in order for Utah to win, I'm going to need to see two turnovers from USC. Uh, I think, and I and you're saying two scores. I think we're saying the same thing. That if this game is played on the level, we feel like USC should be better than a seven point favorite in a normal game. I think so. I think that I just think their defense has improved. They are have improved more since the middle of October than Utah has, and most of it has been USC's defense. Uh, also, Caleb Williams is just playing at you know, another level. And as we've seen time and time again down the stretch here, the team with the better quarterback play or, or the quarterback play that has where there's fewer mistakes, that team is winning. And I I just think Williams is playing so well right now that you got to give USC an edge. I would I would take USC if the line were, you know, five points and it's what, three? Yeah, I wouldn't though. I mean I just I just feel like their defense against balanced teams has struggled. And I think, you know, I'm leaning into the idea that Utah has figured something out in that first matchup, but we will find out early. If it starts like last time, I think it was 21-7 USC, they got off to a hot start last time, look out, because uh, I think it could cave in. Utah cannot play that kind kind of game again. I was really surprised that they were able to come back. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, leave us feedback, and we'll be back with another episode next week.